welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And I'm your co-host, Jenny Joy. Oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about. Yes, we do. Um, it's been a very long week. Jenny has been gone. Tell, In Mexico. Tell everybody what you were doing. Getting married. <laughs> Can you believe that? She is a married woman. So exciting. Mm -hmm. Married life. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm a couple days in. So we are excited to talk to you guys probably in a couple of weeks because I, I think we have like two more episodes that mm -hmm. are coming out, but we will be doing our love stories. Yes. I tried to get her to do it before she got married, but then she snuck off and got <laughs> married. So <laughs> she's got a lot to tell you guys, but we also have some exciting news. The Fearless Female Mastermind is now on sale. Yes, it is on our website, fearlessfemale.com under the events tab, and it's going to be happening November 15th. 15th through 17th at a beautiful villa in Palm Springs that I <laughs> handpicked for you guys. Yes, it's really, really beautiful. There's going to be five amazing speakers, myself yes. and Jenny. Mm -hmm. And we have three more that are secret. You guys have to be there to find out who they are. It's going to be action packed. We're going to have guided meditations in the morning, catered lunches, dinner, a homemade dinner on one of the nights. Um, and then we're also going to do hot seats. And if you guys don't know, that's what started the fearless female movement for me yep. is that I went to a mastermind in Puerto Vallarta and I was sitting on a hot seat and they said, well, what is it that you would like to do? <laughs> and that's how it all began. And that's how it all began. I actually let my dream outside of my head yes. and shared it with people. And then all those people encouraged me to follow my dream. And that's where we are, ladies. So if you are interested in going to the first fearless female mastermind destination, Palm Springs, <laughs> head over to our website, www.fearlessfemale.com. Yeah. Go to the events tab and get your tickets now. Prices will go up, ladies. So we are excited because our guest this week is Nora. She is a mother of three. She's a preschool teacher and has a degree in child development. She is a stay-at-home mother of a 14-year-old special needs who is also transitioning. Nora has experienced many types of losses throughout her life. She is here to tell us her story on how she healed through grief. Hi, thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. So I go um, not way back with Nora, but I've known her for a little bit and we are very close. So I'm super happy that you're on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for asking me. So tell us a little bit about the losses, because before we started this podcast, you were telling me a little bit because I don't really like to ask too many questions because I want to get all the juice on the podcast. But when she said that she was going to talk about grief, I immediately went to you know, how many people have passed in your life? And as she spoke, she's like, actually, no, it's not that type of, well, it's those types of losses, but also other types in of addition, losses yeah. in addition to, which when you talk about grief, you don't really think about it in that way. You think you're grieving. So someone's actually dead, but that could totally be something different for you. Yeah. So for me, like my very first loss was when I was four years old and my, I had mom and dad and a little baby brother. And my mom left us when my brother and I were three and four years old. And it was kind of like a Thanksgiving weekend where my dad was taking us to his parents' house and she was going to her parents' house. And, and then when we got back from that Thanksgiving weekend, there was a note mm -hmm. saying that she was gone and I never saw her again until I was 18. Wow. wow. So that is a big loss that carries throughout my whole life. Yeah. What was no. on the note? 
Do you remember? I don't remember. I have been told later Mm -hmm. what the note said. The note said something like, I'll be back. And I think they had a fight in court. And so she never came back. Yeah. Were your parents like, were they like going to break up or was this just out of the blue? For me, it was out of the blue. I think they were having problems, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think if you're spending Thanksgiving apart, <laughs> that issue. might be a clue. Right. <laughs> but for me, being four years old, it was completely out of the blue, completely blindsided. I had, there was not anything out of the ordinary that we were going to Thanksgiving. I was just excited to see my grandparents. And, yeah. and I just remember like going around the house looking for her. And then my dad saying she's not here. Oh. That's devastating. And you didn't see her again until you were 18? Right. No conversation, nothing? No. So there were these mystery gifts that would come. So what happened is like later in my life, my dad got married. He actually got married two years later. When my mom left, we stayed with our dad. And so for the the next year, we were staying with our dad. We went to a babysitter. And then my dad was going to school to be a military pilot in the Air Force. And so he took us to my grandparents' house and then he went to California. We lived in Texas at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's another loss because for me, for my little, you know, four and a half year old brain, I was attaching myself to my dad now because my mom had gone, but at least I had my dad. And so he took us, leaving us with his parents. And so in my mind, Now I've lost both of my parents. And so I have memories of, you know, sitting by the phone waiting for my dad to call. And my grandma would be like, honey, he just called. I know, but he's going to call again. Oh, you know, because I don't have any sense of time Mm -hmm. at that age. And so I just don't want to go to the store. Don't want to go anywhere. This is like my first memory of that intense longing yeah you know and did that um, make you feel like there was something wrong with you because they left like did that internally make you feel like oh there's something wrong with me because I feel like I would have those feelings like yeah I did something wrong like as a child you you think like did I not clean my room or did I misbehave did I not am I not lovable enough for them to stay yeah so those feelings actually didn't start that young They came later. So when I was about six, almost six, my dad found a wife in California where he was going to school and he married her. And so my grandparents took both of us kids, put us on an airplane, took us to California. And I met my new mom on her wedding day in her wedding dress. Oh (gasps) my gosh. And that's how it was. She was introduced to me as this is your new mom. (gasps) And I remember thinking at five and a half, almost six, well, that's kind of weird. You don't just get a new mom. Get a new mom. <laughs> uh, even at that age, I was like, oh, I don't want a new one. Yeah, oh, like no. he went to the grocery store and was like, yep, here, here's your new yeah. mom. Like <laughs> that, the one I picked that, out. That old dress over there is no good. We'll get a new dress. You know, I'm like, but I want my old mom. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it was very confusing. And even now as an adult, I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I was confusing. Right. How old was your brother? He's 11 months younger than me. Oh, okay. So you're the oldest one. So yeah. How do you explain that to your <laughs> your brother? Yeah, we were both. I mean, we were 11 months apart. So we were very, very close. And we were both just like, what? Did your dad explain it at all I don't to you? really or? remember. Yeah. All I remember is being introduced. My grandma that took us from Texas introduced me to my new grandma. This is your new grandma and your new mom. <laughs> and my mom was wearing a wedding dress. And I don't even think I really knew what was going on until I got there. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Oh, man. And 
where the self-blame started. This is also where my first feeling of betrayal started. Like Mm. I, this new woman was kind of like an imposter. You know, I saw her as an imposter. She's not supposed to be with my dad. Here she is standing with my dad. My dad is kissing her. Like I just didn't have an understanding wrapped around it. And now as an adult, I can kind of see, well, no kidding. I, I wasn't preview to any of the courting or the dating or anything no right. not at all you know was your dad young like was your original mom and dad like a young couple yes. mm. how yes. old were they when they had you know you I think my dad my mom was 21 and my dad was 24 when I was oh. born okay so, so he's still like he's early in his like thir- 30s yeah. when this is going on yeah yeah so those are some losses right there like you know, straight out the door. Then, as I mentioned, my dad was a military pilot. So Mm -hmm. we're in the military and we moved every two years. So every home that I had, every friend that I had, every room that I had, every school, teacher, church, I would lose every two years. (laughs) Just never were able to grow your roots anywhere. Right. Yeah. The stability of not having like just, you know, having your room, like having your teachers, having your friends and not just that, but like the major stability of having your mom and dad. Yes. Must have been really devastating for you growing up. Yeah, it really is. And that's one of the things that I talk about. I mentioned that I'm writing a book. Mm -hmm. It's called Embracing My Gut-Wrenching Grief. Mm. And I've had several of my friends tell me I should rename that. No one's going to pick that up. No, because (laughs) actually, right when you said that, I was like, dang, that's a book that I would pick up off the shelf because it hooks you. Gut-wrenching. I'm like, what is that? You know, know? does it conjure up this feeling of like, you know, being doubled over in the bathroom, crying and shaking and not being able to move because you're so enveloped in your grief. Yeah. You know, and instead of shying away from that, embracing it has really been what has helped me heal. Mm. Yeah. And talking about it, like what I'm doing today, I think in our culture, there's a lot of, you know, let's not talk about it. And if somebody, you know, like, don't, don't even mention that she lost her baby. Don't even bring it up. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a year, you know, she's, she still doesn't want to like go out and party. Mm. What, what the heck? What, yeah. You know, things like that. Like there's this culture of, you know, okay, one day, of grievance is allowed in schools today, one day. Mm-hmm. And that's for an immediate family member. In elementary wow. schools? Yes. And then they have to go back to school? And then they have to go back to school. Or or they get an unexcused absence, which that's is actually insane. what really happens. So our culture doesn't have like this platform of embracing grief. Yeah. So like that's kind of where, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where my passion comes from. Yeah. But like, think about it. You get one unexcused absence for a death. What do you get for somebody whose parent just leaves you? Nothing. Exactly. Right? Nothing. And that's what I was saying earlier in the podcast is we experience when someone says I'm grieving or I'm mourning the loss of when you, whatever it is, you think, oh, that person died. But when someone leaves you like your mom or your dad, or even like a boyfriend, Mm -hmm. you're really experiencing the loss of that relationship. Right. And it takes a lot for you to get back into your normal senses of life because you're grieving the loss of what could have been. And 
you know, I've been through so many breakups, <laughs> so many breakups. And I would remember just feeling like total and complete loss. Like I wasn't grieving because I wanted that, you know, jerk back. <laughs> I was grieving because the thought of who I thought he was going to be, yes. you know, yeah. and just like the grieving of like, your mother or grieving of like being a family or grieving of I finally found my place and now we have to move again. Right. So, I mean, that could have probably brought on so much, not only distress, but like insecurities and like you said, self-blaming. How did you deal with all of that? Like, what were your first steps on like realizing that it really had nothing to do with you personally as a human being? Well, I think talking to other people who also experienced those losses really helped me because as a child, I only saw mine. Mm -hmm. I only saw my experience. Mm -hmm. And so as I grew up and I started talking to other people who also didn't have their parent growing up or who also grew up in the military and was moving every two years or they were a pastor's child or whatever the case may be. And they have that same experience where, you know, one, one of my grievances is that I I don't really have a hometown. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a place that I grew up, mm -hmm. you know, and you hear, you hear that a lot in our society. Like I grew up here and, and, and this the, is where it, I'm from. This is where yeah. I'm from. And it connects people like, oh, I grew up in Newport. Me too. Oh my God. And <laughs> I don't have that. <laughs> my connection is, oh, we grew up in an Air Force kid and we lost everything we had for every two years. Yes. Oh <laughs> you know, that's our connection. <laughs> so because you moved around so much and you didn't really form a whole lot of sustainable like friendships and relationships, do you think that that really affected your relationships in adulthood? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is sexual abuse, child sexual mm -hmm. abuse. So in when I was eight years old, I was for two years, the two years, pretty much the whole time that I lived there, I was sexually molested by my teacher's husband. What? So it was in a Christian school. <gasps> my parents, my brother is physically and mentally handicapped. He was born six weeks early in 1975. Mm -hmm. So he has cerebral palsy. Oh, so uh, right around this time, they were taking him to hospitals and having surgeries a lot. Okay. And so instead of taking me out of school all this time, they would leave me with the teacher and her husband and so that I could continue going to school. So I see their their point. They were grandparents age there they had a granddaughter that was in my class how old were you I was eight <gasps> from the time I was eight to the time I was 10 I was sexually molested so the thing about this relationship is to me he called me his girlfriend <gasps> he told me that I was way better at sexual things than his wife Mrs. A you're way better than Mrs. A you're the best I've ever had <sighs> you're such a good girl so these kind of messages, I know they're sickening, but I took them on as like, oh my God, I'm special. Identity. I'm, yes, yes, identity. I'm special. I'm good at these things. I'm good, you know, and, and then he would give me treats. He would literally take me to the corner liquor store and let me buy whatever I wanted. And in my home, my mother was very strict about food. So I was able to go and like get orange soda and Bubble gum, great bubble gum and cherry popsicles are my favorites. <laughs> and I would get those, you know, I would perform these sexual favors for him and be told that I was a good girl and that I was the best. And then I would go get treats. How old was he? I don't know, but I'm guessing 50s, oh, early 60s. That's so disgusting. So disgusting. Did, he, did, did Mrs. A have any clue? 
that this was going on? No. And so how it ended was in, I told my friend who is also his granddaughter. Mm. And I don't remember why I told her. I don't remember the thought process of why I told her, except for I think I was just talking to her Uh because I was shocked that she told and that it was treated so badly and ugly. I was shocked. Because in your mind, you're thinking you're his girlfriend. This This is a real relationship. It's not like, you know, taboo that he's 50 and you're eight. Right. (laughs) I knew a secret because he's not supposed to have a girlfriend on the side. Right. But that's all I knew. Okay. I didn't really understand how sick this Age. was and yeah. that this was like a crime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, di- I didn't get it. And so how did it all end? I w- we're watching TV one night and my friend, his granddaughter, comes in with her mother, his daughter, and they go into the back bedroom and everything's all serious. And then they call me in and he's basically denying everything and saying, well, you know that Nora, she lies. Wow. And they totally believed him <gasps> that I lied, that I made all this up. And Mrs. A was like, you need to get on your hands and knees and you need to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you because this is not OK for you to lie about a godly man. So I have a question about that because I was also abused by a religious person growing up. Did that affect your relationship with God at that time? Just because she said you need to get on your hands and knees and pray to God. Did that just totally confuse? You know, I had kind of a weird I was raised. No, it didn't. Oh, good. It didn't. But I'm not really sure why, except for I really had a strong sense that Jesus was always with me. Mm -hmm. And so I remember just praying like, dear Jesus, please help me get through this. Wow. (laughs) Like, please help my parents come back quick because they were gone. And I and I don't really remember how long it was between the time that everything shit hit the fan and my parents came back from their trip. It could have been a couple hours. It was no, it was more than it was at least one night because she made me Mrs. A made me sleep on the floor next to her bed because I couldn't be trusted at night because I was making up stories about what happened at night. Wow, you couldn't be trusted, but her husband slept on the bed right next to her. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, that's tragic. So I always talk about like this, one of my losses was a loss of not only feeling secure, in a childhood, I think that's really important for kids mm-hmm. to feel secure. You know, I talked about having a place to belong, but also just knowing that the adults in your life aren't going to betray you. Yeah. And I just kind of lost that. Yeah, The loss of trust in someone who's older than you, who is supposed to take care of you. Protect you, right? Yeah. I mean, did did the truth ever finally reveal itself? Yes. Or did he finally like admit that what he was doing? I don't doing? think he ever admitted it, but my mother... My stepmother, I was talking to her about it in the months later, which again, I'm not really sure why I told her because Mm -hmm. she and I didn't really have a good relationship, but I just was talking to her and it just hit her at one point, like Nora's not making this up. (laughs) Like I didn't watch TV. I wasn't allowed to watch TV and she's like, she can't be making this up. So her and my dad actually talked to Mrs. A and told them that they believe me and that they might want to do something about it. Wow. What was her reaction? She cried and stormed out of the house. Yeah, because he's a godly man. He would never do that. And that's just heartbreaking probably on her side because he's clearly a master deceiver. He deceived her. He deceived you, you know, so... That's just a loss all around. I never really under, I never found out what happened with that. My parents never took him to court and 
I've looked him up a couple of times in my adult life and I couldn't find him. Maybe oh, he's dead now. I don't know. But um it's all hope so. <laughs> but one of the one of my big losses is and I still mourn this sometimes is that I lost my sexual innocence. Absolutely. So I never got that like first kiss, mm. you know, where your heart pitter pats. I, you know, the the first time I, I hear some people talk sweetly about the first time they see a man's penis. Mm-hmm. The first time that, you know, they have sex or they have intercourse or they go down on a man. It's it's it can be special. I never got that. That was taken away from me when I was eight years old. And it was twisted in my mind that about my performance, you know, so even as an adult, you know, how well I get a man off is tied up with my self-worth. Yeah. So I that's a big loss, you know, and it's something that I've had to mourn and embrace and reframe in my mind. Yeah, Of course, a child would think that. But Mm -hmm. as an adult, I don't have to. Oh, that makes my heart hurt. Seriously, because it is. It's the loss of your innocence because you never did experience what it's like to have a first kiss with your, you know, someone who's an appropriate age, you know, and he twisted everything that was supposed to be shared with someone your own age where you have mutual feelings and Mm -hmm. it wasn't forced upon and it wasn't manipulated. Yeah, manipulated and you weren't groomed to feel that you were obligated to perform these acts. And that's just devastating. I mean, how did you deal with that loss? I think for a long time, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really recognize that I even had a loss. You know, I just kind of go with the motions and like it was just a bad day. And yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. just kind of keep going. And in my 30s, after I had my my third child, my last child, things just kind of hit me all at once. And I realized that I needed to first acknowledge that it was a loss and then really kind of go back to that little eight, nine, 10 year old little girl and tell her that that is not a normal relationship and that it wasn't her fault. So you've done a lot of inner child work. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of, you know, I hear the word reparenting, but just kind of reframing the lies that I was told. And that I believed for so long. Yeah. So it's a process, you know, and and I've been working on this for about 15 years. And and it's still sometimes something that hits me. Like I'll see a movie or I'll see a friend or I'll see a, a French child that, you know, has their first love or mm. and I'll get that twinge of loss, a twinge of pain that yeah. I never had that. You know, that's devastating. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. To me, my husband and I talk about this all the time because he has two sons from a different marriage. And I'm always constantly like, I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to spend the night there. I, you know, because I grew up, my mom would not let me spend the night anywhere simply because she was, she was constantly afraid that somebody was going to do something to us. She had all daughters except for one little boy. And so she, had her feelers out like, you know, I don't want anything to happen to my daughters. I mean, we weren't even allowed to be alone with our father or my brother because she was so afraid that that would happen to us. I don't know if it ever happened to her. And honestly, I've never had an honest conversation with my mother about that. But she was very like, I wasn't allowed to spend the night at friends' houses. I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers. 
it was just I wasn't even allowed to be alone with my brother or my dad because I mean, that's kind of awesome, though. Yeah. You know that she just really cared about protecting yeah, you I, in that way. I'm thankful for mm-hmm. that because I can't even imagine the pain and the hurt as an eight year old, an eight year old to have to do not only perform those acts, but to be told that you're this person and then be told you were a liar. You know, that, you know, say that you're my girlfriend and everything. And then you in your mind have completely built up an entire relationship. And in your eight year old mind, you're like, this is a relationship. You go and tell your friend who's your age. And then they tell the mom and she tells you you're a liar and not only a liar, but to get on your knees and pray for forgiveness. I mean, that could have been that could have been just the most, uh, I don't know. I'm like picturing it in my head and I'm just like, I cannot believe this. Like. To me, it's just like if a little child says that, why not believe them? Right. And like recovering from Stockholm syndrome is really, really difficult because I also had, you know, multiple abusers, but there was one where it was like Nora's and it was a relationship. And when he left me, I was confused. I was devastated. And I said, wait, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And that is actually one of my big losses Mm -hmm. is when that relationship ended. Right. Which is something that we don't often talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, and. Well, people think it's sick. What's wrong with you? Well, it is sick. It's not my fault. But it is something that I had that I had to reckon with that it was a relationship. It was a sick one, Mm -hmm. but it was a relationship. And it did give me a sense of comfort. It gave me a sense of belonging for quite a while. And then it was gone and ripped away from me in a very traumatic way. And so that was a huge loss. Mm -hmm. And I had no way to deal with that, you know. And Stockholm syndrome is just a coping mechanism that like abused people or children. That's how they they cope with what's going on. So I just want to say that for our listeners if they don't know. So how did you move past this? Like you were still moving every couple of years. Yes. With your dad. And so you moved away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a big key is that we moved away and for better or for worse, it was just never really talked about again. Like oh. that wipe our hands clean of that, Sweep you know, under the rug. Yes. Yeah. so it was kind of good in that I didn't have to see him at school and see him at church, you know, cause I can only imagine that that would have been pretty traumatizing but it was also kind of weird because we just don't talk about it we just move yeah (laughs) you know Uh, so now in your life um, are you married today I'm not so that that actually is another loss I was married for 10 years and we had three children together we actually had five children together and we lost two babies one at 12 weeks and one at 10 weeks. Oh my goodness. And After you was, had given birth. Correct? Yeah. yeah. So, so if I could go back a little bit, even before I got married, when I was 18 years old, my stepmom and my dad had got a divorce when I was 17. And so we moved yet again, my brother and I moved to Texas to live with my dad and he was retired at this point. And I got into like almost immediately got into a relationship and I got pregnant in my senior year of high school. And 24 weeks along, I had an accident where I fell down the stairs and I gave birth to my firstborn 24 weeks and he was stillborn. I knew that he had passed away when I was when I was still pregnant, went to the hospital after the accident and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And so my boyfriend, who was 16 years old, freaked out and left. And 
here I am, 18 years old, uh, giving birth to a baby that I knew was dead by myself. Oh, my goodness. And and I gave birth to him and his little Mexican baby. My boyfriend was Mexican, really red, dark hair all over his little body, but it didn't quite look like a baby. At 24 weeks, they're very, very mm-hmm. tiny and they don't quite look like a human yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and I couldn't hold him. They asked me if I wanted to hold him and I, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of my biggest regrets yeah. that I never held my baby. But I have to have compassion for that little 18 year old mama. Yes. You know that I, I just couldn't do it. I know they encourage people who give like stillbirths to hold their child or to take pictures of it yeah. even. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I really some people regret that I cannot. Mm-hmm. I think if that happened to me now, I would be able to. And but it just wasn't a thing in my head. And you were still a child. You were was 18. Just, it was such a loss. It was I kind of embraced the idea of being pregnant in high school. And and we talked about adoption and then we talked about, no, we're not going to adopt it. We're going to keep it. And and then I lost it. So it was just like a whirlwind of grown up decisions, you know, with a big crescendo of loss. With a partner who wasn't like supportive at all. So basically you were dealing with these big adult decisions by yourself. Right. That was a big deal. And I moved to California shortly after that. And so where were you living at that time? I was living in Texas. Texas. Yeah. After I had lost my baby, my great-grandfather from my stepmother's side of the family, even though they had been divorced, my my stepmother's family really embraced me as theirs. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you a plane ticket. You're going to come home. You don't need to be, you know, dealing with this by yourself. So that was that's huge a for huge you. gift mm-hmm. that, that he gave me to feel like I belong. And I kind of spent that summer in bed, depressed, <laughs> struggling with postpartum depression and and the loss of my firstborn yeah. child mm-hmm. yeah. and the loss of all that that entails. Like I thought the I was going to be a mom mm-hmm. and the yes, the relationship with his dad and it all just ended there. We were not capable <laughs> dealing with this no. yet. I had to. Yeah. You know? No, I don't think no one has ever prepared yeah. to deal with no something way. It's devastating, even though we're all going to experience loss in our life in all types of ways. I don't think no matter how many self-help books and how many tools you have in your belt, I don't think no one can really express the devastating feeling of that. No, you can't. There's just no way. I always used to say I would never wish this on my worst enemy. Yeah. The feeling of grief and loss and just heartache because it really is like a broken heart. It is. It's really, really sad. My son was born in March. And so every year in March, like the anniversary of his birth and death, just really, I'm, I think about him every day, but mm-hmm. especially in March, just wondering what kind of man he would be mm-hmm. like. And he would be 26 now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have a 26 year old <laughs> son if he was still alive. And, you know, sometimes I, I think about what would have been if I hadn't mm. lost him, you know, and I think, I think allowing myself to think those things is a way to heal that loss. So to did heal you, that grief. Did you name him? Yeah. His name is Brian. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And so like I mentioned that I had two miscarriages later on after I got married, we had my, my first daughter, Genesee, she's 23 now mm-hmm. and having her 
really it healed a lot of my my pain and my loss, but it also impacted my pain and my loss because now I really know yeah. what I lost. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. my first baby I lost, so I can kind of pretend what that I I think what it'd be like to have a live baby. But now I really have a live baby and I know what I lost that first time. Yeah. And I know what a baby is supposed to look like when they're born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I had her, I had to go through kind of that loss and healing kind of together. At the same yeah. time. Yeah. And then I had my son three and a half years later. And and then I had two miscarriages in a row. Wow. And I think having those miscarriages a little bit older now, you know, uh, in my late 20s when I had those. So a whole decade later, and I handled my loss differently. I had memorial services for my babies, really small ones Mm -hmm. at my pastor's home. And I kind of dove into my grief with creating things. Mm. So I would like create collages with their names Mm. and their ultrasound picture and the date that I lost them. And, and I, I displayed those in my home for a little while. I don't display them in my home anymore, but I kept them and, and making like little announcements that we were going to have the memorial and like hand stamping things, like putting my grief into physical, tangible actions yeah. really helped. That's good. And getting cards from people with my baby's name on it is if there's one piece of tidbit advice that I can give you for having a friend who's lost a baby is to acknowledge that baby and speak their name. Yeah. If they have one, Mm -hmm. it's so healing for a mama that someone else sees their baby as a baby. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that it's still a baby and it would have been a human being if it would have been born. But. I think when you have a miscarriage, they just, oh, well, it's like a bleep. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't even want to discuss it. They don't even want to acknowledge that it was a human. Or I think because it's kind of common, unfortunately, people just like brush it off like no big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, and And it is a big deal. It's huge. Every mama that I've talked to that has had a miscarriage is a significant part of their life. Absolutely. It's not just trivial. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you had Leah. And then we had Leah and I gave up after my second miscarriage, my third loss. I gave up. I gave up. I gave away all my baby stuff (laughs) and I'm done. Closing the doors. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to have another baby. And so I, you know, I wanted to mention this, something that multiple people told me when I was having my miscarriages is that you have a boy and you have a girl, you should just be thankful. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> like not the right thing to say. Yeah. Just be thankful. <laughs> you know, that's really not comforting. It's it wasn't comforting. It didn't make me feel any better. It implies that I don't appreciate them, you yeah. know, that I'm not grateful. And um, I just loved being a mom. I wanted to be a mom again, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think sometimes people don't say anything because they don't know what to say. Yeah. And I think kind of erring on the side of caution might be a good thing because some things that people have told me have were really <laughs> hurtful. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. I'm sorry for your loss is a really good one. Yeah. That's <laughs> really just good. Just stick to one. that. Yeah. <laughs> I know people say some weird things when others die. It's, yeah. it's I think crazy. they just don't know how. Right. Yeah. It comes from uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that is part of what I'm telling you about this story is to kind of break that, that shield of, we don't talk about this. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think the more that we talk about these things, the less uncomfortable it will be to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I had Leah, I had a really rough pregnancy with her and she was born seven weeks early. Mm-hmm. And so she was a preemie baby. She had to be on oxygen and having a medically fragile child is another loss. You know, you hear a lot of expecting parents say, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. I just want them to be healthy. Like, I can't even stress that enough. Like, Having a medically fragile child is a big loss. It's so scary. The basic breathing, sucking, swallowing, if your child can't do that, they struggle to live. And to watch this little teeny tiny four pound baby struggle to suck, swallow and breathe and have to have interventions To help them do those things, have a G tube because she literally cannot swallow. Oh. And, you know, we would, when we first figured out that her tongue was tied to the bottom of her mouth. So a lot of times you hear about tongue tied where the frenulum is short. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a frenulum. Frenulum is the little piece of skin underneath Mm. your tongue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of babies, it's really tight. So their tongue doesn't go out. And they can't milk the breast properly. Well, she didn't even have a frenulum. So her tongue was literally flat down to the bottom of her Her mouth. mouth. And I'll kind of curl up a little bit when she cried. And and even being, you know, 30 years old and a third time mama, I still didn't know that that wasn't right. I kind of thought it was cute. I'm like, oh, that your little (laughs) tongue curl up, you know. No, that's why she can't eat, you know. And a loss of a... Of a healthy baby, a loss of a baby, even though she didn't die, I yeah. still had her. But the the loss of that plump, little, mm-hmm. healthy child who's screaming when they're born and that can nurse or drink from a bottle. She couldn't even drink from her syringe. She would gag because mm. she couldn't suck and swallow properly. And then as she grew up, we realized that she had a speech impediment largely to her tongue and and then we discovered later that she had a laryngeal web, which is a piece of fleshiness between your vocal cords. Oh. So your vocal cords are supposed to be like a V and they're supposed to vibrate when you push air through them. And hers would, but they would make some weird sounds because they had something in between the V that's not supposed to be there. So she had a really difficult time with learning to speak. Did they remove that or no, they, they just left it? They left it there because... They say if they cut it out when they're so little, they could damage the vocal cords mm-hmm. and that nine times out of 10, they grow out of it by the time they're 10. Mm-hmm. And then if they're not, if they don't, then when they're 10, they can do it because they're bigger now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she did grow out of it. By oh, the time good. she was 10, awesome. it they had the fleshy part had gone away and there were polyps in its place. So Leah still does voice therapy because she has polyps in her vocal cords. And if you were to talk to her, she has a very kind of raspy voice mm-hmm. and they're from the polyps on oh, her vocal cords. She has a really cute voice, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so 
I remember I was thinking about this on my way over here. I was thinking when Leah was about four years old, she was kind of, I don't even know what it's called. It's in between a singing and a hum. And she was going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And we were in the hospital and the nurse said, oh, you know, the itsy bitsy spider we will sing the itsy bitsy spider together. And I started to cry because someone that wasn't in my immediate family understood what Leah was saying. And that's another loss of like, I remember seeing other two, three-year-olds having full-on conversations with their parents and, and me struggling to understand that she wanted a drink Yeah, or, you know, and having a, having a special needs child, there's a sense of loss there also. In addition that we don't all often talk about because it, there's a sense of taboo, right? If if I'm mourning not having a healthy child, then I'm I'm not grateful for my sick child. Mm, yeah. And that is absolutely not true, you know? So I think it's important that, you know, and even now Leah is transitioning. She's, her pronouns are they, them, and theirs, which can be confusing <laughs> because it's a plural pronoun. We're talking about one person, but those are the pronouns that they like. So from now on, I'll refer to Leah as they. Mm -hmm. And Leah is is really embracing that they're not a girl. And this is not a shock to me. They started saying this about when they were four years old, that they were a boy. And I kind of thought at that point that it was because that she was in a classroom full of boys. Okay. And so I thought, she identified as a boy because mm-hmm. she was around boys all the time. But when she moved to other classrooms and was around girls, girls, they still kind of, you know, and as long as she's been able to pick out her own clothes, she was picking out boy clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, they go to therapy and I've embraced that with her. I think it's very important to let them express who they think that they are. But... I would be lying if I if I didn't say that there isn't a sense of loss mm-hmm. for that little girl. I wanted I wanted a baby so badly. And when I found out that it was a girl, I was so excited. I've always wanted sisters because mm-hmm. I grew up with a brother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally I have sisters and I dressed them alike. My older daughter was nine. Yeah. <laughs> and thank God for Jimboree that has like little baby clothes and Aww. nine-year-old clothes that match. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, there's such a there's such an emphasis in our culture around gender. We have gender reveal parties, and we have mm-hmm. you know a boy section and a girl section, and you know list of girls' names and a list of boys' names, and it's all like girl boy, girl boy, girl boy. And when Leah came out and said, "I'm not a girl and I'm not a boy," and if I am one, then I'm more of a boy. Mm-hmm. It was really sad for me. Yeah, because I lost my little girl, my little Leah Isabella Ann, that I named her such a girly girl name (laughs) and dressed her with the bows. And, you know, I lost my little girl, but I joined PFLAG, which stands for, okay, what does it stand for? Parents (laughs) and Families of Lesbians and Gay. Mm -hmm. P-F-L-A-G. A-G. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And they really helped me embrace that I am gaining a son. I'm, I'm gaining someone who is going to be more confident in who they are mm. and not having to pretend that there's something different. So that's why I wanted to give a little shout out to them because they really help me with not feeling alone, which is something that I've tried to emphasize here. I think it's so important for us not to feel like we're the only one going through this because a lot of people have experienced a lot of the losses that I have. 
Mm-hmm. So how did you find that group? Did you just Google it or did a friend tell you about it? I think a friend told me about it, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure. I think I might have just heard about it before. Yeah. So when this came up, I knew to go to them. Yeah. There's so many amazing support groups out there for everything. There really are. Like there's yes. a bunch of 12-step programs for a million different things. Yes. And then there's support groups in addition, which I think is so awesome. How did you feel like when you first, okay, so she told you or they told you that now, but she just doesn't want to be a boy because so you're not calling her him, right? You're calling her them, they. So when they decided I'm not neither girl or nor a boy, did you in any way try to like make they more feminine? Did you try to like, or did you just accept it? For me, I would think like if I had a child who'd said that, I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know. Let's keep dressing you as a girl and let's keep, you know, because the whole controversy with this, it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you really don't know. You don't really remember. Like, Mm -hmm. I I see now that we're getting closer to Halloween. I love the memes that say, you know, oh, you young moms buying their Halloween costume. Now they all change their mind from now (laughs) till Halloween, like five or six different times. You know, they'll they'll want to be like. Elsa and the Little Mermaid and now, you know, the girl from, you know, The Incredibles, like, you know, they changed their mind so much. So what made you realize that they wasn't changing her mind or his or her mind, you know, like that she wasn't, she wasn't just going through a phase, you know what I mean? Like, because even as we're younger kids, we go through a phase like, oh, now we're emo or now we're the skater chick or now we're, you know, this, but like, what made you really realize this isn't a phase, they're not making it up. They're not letting it go. And they truly, truly believe that that's what they feel like. Yeah. I think, well, when Leah, what I mentioned earlier is that even when they were little, they would say that they were a boy. So it wasn't something that happened overnight. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so shocking. I had gotten them into a LGBTQ youth group Mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't feel like that they were alone. The thing that really hit home with me and I was just like, oh, my God, this is we're not kidding here (laughs) was one day I opened the shower. We had a curtain over the shower and I opened it and uh, just warn you here. This is going to be graphic. They had written in their period blood. I am not a girl on the wall of the shower. And I just really kind of broke down and started crying because No one should have to feel so disassociated with what their body is telling them, you know, in such disagreement. Their body is telling them that they are a girl. Mm -hmm. They're literally on their period. And so they're going to use that, write that and say that they're not. And I think to answer your question, that was the moment. And I was like, okay, we need a therapist that specializes in this. Yeah, (laughs) You know, like we need someone that she can talk to and that you know, they can go through this with because I'm not equipped. <laughs> right. So did you get therapy at that time? Too? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's kind of where I found the PFLAG group. And when I started, yeah. I, I was already seeing a therapist, but I found a therapist that specialized Yeah. in that. And how did you deal with the other moms or the people that are criticizing, you know, because You know, I have many friends from all different walks of life Mm -hmm. and I have a friend too who has a son who's transitioning into a female 
And, you know, there are so many people that say, oh, I just don't get it. That's so gross or this. I mean, like, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, when I hear that and I've had this conversation with many people where it's like, you have no clue what they're going through. You know, like I bought Caitlin's book, Caitlin Jenner, you know, Uh because I wanted to know what she's going through and what, you know, I'm sure that if you were born and you wholly believe that you're a different sex. I mean, this is what I don't understand about people who are just like so negative towards someone who is not like you. And you don't understand what they're going through. You don't understand their journey. You don't understand their feelings. You don't understand. I'm sure they would want to be normal. I'm sure if they could flip a switch, they would be normal. They wouldn't be gay. They wouldn't be trans. They wouldn't be queer. They They would be normal, but they're not. And when I read Caitlin's book, it made me realize like she suffered all of her life trying to suppress who she truly was. And what is it taking away from us to let her live her authentic life? What is it taking away from me? What is it taking away from society, from culture? It's not taking away anything at all. It's not like Caitlin's pushing this agenda down my throat in any way. It's just let her live her authentic self. We only have one life and we only have so much time on this earth. Why live in so much agony and pain trying to conform yourself into this little box that everyone else thinks you should fit into? Right. So how did you deal with all those people? Because to me, when I see my friends post about her son transitioning, it makes me like, I just want to hug her because she's so brave to be able to be open and like free, you know, and not just that, but like, I worry about the child because He's eight years old and putting on wow. women's clothes. And not just because I'm worried about him, but there are weirdos out there yes. that might think of this child in a sexual way. Yes. So how do you deal with all of that? So one of the things is that I keep our world kind of small when it comes to Leah and their gender. So, and I also let them lead. So I normally don't tell people, I let them tell mm. And and then that way they can get a feeling for who they feel is safe. And I talk to them a lot about how people don't agree with it. It's because they don't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think I hope that it helps them understand that it's not about them. It's about the people that don't understand that don't understand. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the weirdos out there. I I worry as a parent sending Leah to public bathrooms, you know, like they go in a girl's bathroom, they look like a boy. If they go in a boy's bathroom, they kind of don't quite look like a boy either. You know, like they're, they don't quite fit in. They still have breasts. Leah does kind of look feminine. So yeah, either bathroom they go in, they kind of don't fit. And so They've actually started asking me if we're going to go somewhere. Do they have all gender bathrooms? Is it scary for Leah? It is. It is scary. She, they sometimes, and you can tell like by my verbiage that I'm still transitioning with it also. Sometimes I call them she by mistake. And so that helps me to have a lot of compassion for other people Mm -hmm. who still call them she, because, you know, we're all kind of going through this loss and transition together. But to answer your question, they do. Sometimes when they have to go to the bathroom, they won't want to go alone anymore. And they're 14 years old, right? you know, because they don't want to deal with the people who stare or 
Some people will. And this is really the only place where we have had people directly say something to us is in public bathrooms. Really? It's really not the moms at school or the kids at school or it's it's really not. Like it's, when you take Leah into a Leah women's bathroom? Leah goes into a women's bathroom. Why is there a boy in here? There should not be a boy in the women's bathroom. An adult is saying that? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so. That's um, probably so hard for Leah. Just like, I just can't imagine. Right. Well, it usually ends in tears. They don't have very good communication skills to begin with. (laughs) So to deal with something that is emotionally charged, she's just like, I don't want to go in there anymore. And so then they go into the boys and the men look at her funny. And I don't think anyone has ever looked at her in a sexual way, but I don't know. I haven't been in there. But she they tell me that it's weird. Yeah. They're like, why are you in here? They don't say that, but they. Yeah. But Leah is also special needs. Yes. So, I mean, when you're in the bathroom, is she visibly special needs? I mean, would the adults be able to be like, well, she needs to be with their mom? I don't think so. No, Leah is very high functioning, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her biggest special needs is she's developmentally delayed and she has ADD, which is a very unusual, actually. Most people who have ADD are are not developmentally delayed. So she kind of was misdiagnosed for a while. Because she is developmentally delayed, her ADD didn't get diagnosed, but it's, but she does, she has both, but her like social skills are pretty good and her talking has gotten a lot better in terms of like just normal communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you are truly a fearless female. I love the fact that you are just fighting the good fight for your daughter. I mean, they. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> my child. Yeah, my your child. 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 Yes. Yeah. It's hard with the they, them, because the they, them is like a group of people. Yes, We're just it is. not used to yeah, it. Yeah, it's not yeah. used to the pronouns, but I truly appreciate you sharing your story. And I love that you had the courage to come on here and be brave enough to talk about your journey of losses and grieving. As we wrap up this episode, what nugget of wisdom would you love to share with the women? We're possibly on the same journey and probably are hiding or in shame or feeling guilt or judgment. What would you give them as their nugget of wisdom? I would say to don't ever shame yourself for however you grieve, that it doesn't matter how you grieve. It only matters that you do it. And I have found that I never have to grieve alone. There are a lot of other women that have experienced the losses that I have and that we can comfort each other. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Nora, for being a guest on our podcast, Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And I'm your co-host, Jenny Joy. You can find us at Fearless Female Podcast on Instagram. You can find me at Jenny Joy Happy on Instagram. And you can find Nora at Nora Burkett on Instagram. How do you spell Burkett? It's N-O-R-A-B-U-R-K-E-T-T. No spaces, all lowercase. All right, ladies. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week. Please share this episode with your friends. There's only 22% women in the podcast world. So we need to support each other. Yes, we do. Let's get some fearless females on board. Share, rate, review, and tune in next week. Goodbye. Bye.